0: Welcome to the Livian Podcast, a show that helps successful real estate teams accelerate their growth and impact. Livian, love how you live in all aspects of life.
1: All right, so this week I'm joined by uh, Logan Matashami, who's the um, uh, director of economics at Housing Wire, and now it's got to be a pretty good time to be an economist, especially in the housing market. Logan. Um, Tell me a little bit about it. You said you've been really busy right now. What uh, What's going on from in your world?
0: Well, everything's kind of been crazy since 2020. So yeah. there is no kind of break. There's no normal year. Um, uh, everything is so much uh, different in the sense that um, we're dealing with factors that a lot of people aren't used to. And in the previous economic expansion, even though it was the longest economic expansion in history... What had happened was things were normal, right? Normal things would occur every single year. So it's not really too difficult to talk about economics in that light. Here, every single year, you're dealing with kind of either exogenistic shocks or extreme moves in pricing. Uh, So you try to make sense of it all. And, you know, with the Federal Reserve yesterday, uh, uh, you know, hiking 75 basis points, but the bond yields and mortgage rates going the opposite way. That's kind of uh, something, you know, I've talked about on Housing Wire for, for some time now because my recession models are all, all, all my recession flags are up. So traditionally mortgage rates tend to go down in that aspect, but they want mortgage rates to go up. So there's all these uh, uh, intricacies that are happening this year that are a little bit different than what we saw in, in 2020 and 2021.
1: Yeah, and when we were talking um, off air, um, well, in the last couple of weeks, one of the things that, uh, that we were talking about was how, how many other economists who are looking at either macroeconomics or, or economics across sectors that are not specifically housing like yourself, how oftentimes they don't understand maybe the complexity or the nuance um, of, of housing. What is it that makes real estate and housing so different from every other um, asset class when when thinking through the lens of economics
0: well part of i think the confusion over the decades has been that mortgage rates have been falling for four decades um and what's what's occurred is that you know people with old economic models they would look at mortgage rates at eight percent being maybe too low or six or five but if you're a bond market person you're just basically following this channel and mortgage rates follow the 10-year yield um and then housing has to be always considered in the sense that it's the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own the debt. The debt aspect of housing, I've always thought, um, a lot of economists who don't have credit profile risk training, uh, they that's the missing link uh, of everything. And in a sense, when you saw what happened from 2002 to 2005, that period is what I call exotic loan debt structures, things that... Are not uh are not sustainable but the demand was really being pushed by that so um that was easy to see in a sense if you if, if you had a credit risk profile and then even uh in 2020 when um you know when COVID happened and a lot of people thought well housing has to crash people have to you know they're gonna no, they weren't going to because the debt structures post 2010 was excellent. A a big theme of my work over the years has been that if you look at uh, household formation and housing um, uh, uh, balance sheets, they've never looked better because of the principle that a, a homeowner has a fixed payment and they've stayed in their homes a lot longer than they usually have. From 1985 to 2007, it was about five to seven years. From 2008 to 2022, it's 11 to 13 years. In some parts of the US, it's about 15 to 18 years. I've lived in my house for 18 years uh so what's happened is that people's wages go up every single year and then we've had three refinancing waves since 2012 so the homeowner itself is in really good uh, is in really good shape so when forbearance came and people thought well that means housing's going to crash well in theory they they literally forgot that even in the worst uh days of covid 133 million people were working so you just roughly need about 4 million mortgage buyers a year to have housing stable because it had 15 to 20% cash buyers. So that $133 million, and then you look at the homeowners, the people that took forbearance right away, a lot of them got off within three months because they really didn't need it. But by October of 2020, most people that were making $60,000 or more already got their jobs back. That means forbearance was done. It was just going to take time to get off. So the homeowner is set. Their credit profiles are set so i think a lot of economists go well lending is tight no lending isn't tight uh, uh with fha va and freddie no uh, you, you lend to the capacity to own a debt so if, if i've ever butted heads with economists over the last 10 years it's always been on that you know we lend to the capacity to own the debt so traditionally speaking people with low fico scores don't buy homes because they can't make their current credit card payments or anything uh so here's covid forbearance, you know, uh, you know, my running theme in the summer of, uh, 2020 was, I, I coined the phrase forbearance crash bros, knowing that a lot of men on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, whatever clubhouse clubhouse was the worst of all, they would talk about, you know, forbearance getting to maybe five, 10, 50 mil, whatever it was, it it wasn't going to happen. And you could see the issue is that there's no credit risk profile trading. I think that that, and to be fair, uh, an economist wouldn't really have that kind of training unless somebody in their department would actually facilitate that. So I think that's where a lot of my work, because our family's been in lending since the late 1950s. Uh, I was in the mortgage industry uh, before I retired in 2020. So we kind of understand how the system works in terms of what what's it take to get a loan. And that credit risk profile was really a big story in 2020, 2021. And in, it is in this year. I mean, people always ask me, why aren't home prices crashing? Home sales are down big. Uh, why aren't people rushing to the exits? That was the main grift of last year that American households will run, sell their homes at any cost just to get out to be homeless. I'm like, that's not how housing works. You know, A traditional seller is a buyer of a home. Uh, if you look at total inventory data going back to 1982. I like doing these long charts so people can get a perspective. Total inventory data, NAR, is basically two to two and a half million. That's what it usually is. Uh, Since 2014, inventory data has been slowly falling down, 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 down. And then here comes 2020 to 2024, the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history. Inventory is basically was at a four decade low before 2020 and mortgage rates were low. So the risk is uh, prices can escalate out of hand. And I think the the other argument, maybe I've had with other economists, was that they kept on saying, well, student loan debt crisis. Millennials can't buy homes because of student loan. Millennials have been the biggest home buyers for years now, right? They were the biggest home buyers last year. So, uh, in relationship to the demand curve, they tend to exaggerate certain almost class warfare things and, and not take the trend data. Uh, um, And for myself, you know, since the end of uh, 2020, hey, listen, we all have to worry about home prices escalating, not a forbearance crash because homeowners are good. And when they traditionally list list their house, that means they are traditional buyers, like 75 to 82% of the time they're buying another property. So no matter where mortgage rates are, you get to see this, you know, the list that go buy another homes, the inventory gets washed. What higher rates do, which it's currently doing, is that it cools demand off to where uh, inventory can accumulate, right? It, it just, the, the days on market start to slow. But we've even seen the uh, last four weeks, uh, realtor.com's new listings have been negative now each week. Uh, and that's that's part of the problem with housing, is just that the functionally fluidness of inventory is much different. And if you looked back to 1982, you can see this, and the only period in time in history that there was an anomaly was 2006 to 2011, and then going back to credit risk profiling, you can see what was happening in 2005, 6, 7, and 8. Uh, credit was deteriorating. Uh, people were filing for foreclosures and bankruptcies in 5, in 6, and 7, and 8. That was rising. Then the job loss recession happened on top of all that. So credit was getting tighter in relationship to the demand curve. We had this humongous housing crash with escalating inventory. None of that was happening from 2012 to when we got to 2020. And again, credit risk profiling and demographics are really crucial for housing. And I think some people just don't have the credit risk profile trading. And you could see that by how they subjectively talk about homeowners when the data really shows they're doing exceptionally well and even got better after COVID.
1: Absolutely. So I want to unpack this a little bit because there's so much there that we could go on about. So our, our audience being real estate agents, right? So I'm going to make this as as realtor simple as possible. So I, I heard it's a combination today of the market is demographics, supply, and credit risk. And all of those have kind of combined to make this overheated um, marketplace where in spite of the fact that that mortgage rates have gone up and now pulled back almost a full percent. The, there isn't a structural change in the actual um, supply or the demographics or the credit to cause a, a, a retraction of pricing. And therefore the, the market's still going up into the right or still remaining healthy.
0: So the the term I have this year is savagely unhealthy because if you track inventory channels Um, What typically happens is inventory rises in the spring and summer, and then it fades in the fall and winter. And what happened in 2020 was we broke to all-time lows in inventory. And then we did it again in 2021. So when we started 2022, we were in the most unhealthiest spot for housing, just on the economic side, because we literally had too many people chasing too few goods. So for myself, I said, during this period, because I've separated my work from 2008 to 2019 always, and then 2020 to 2024 is its own beast. Um, I always said, if home prices just grew at 23% for five years, we'd be okay. Uh, um, we got, we're over 40% in two and a half years, right? And that was always the risk in this. But now that we've had the biggest mortgage rate hit ever, and I can make a case it's 4%, actually, we got as low as two and a half, and then we got as high as six and a half, you know, peak pricing. Uh, Inventory is rising uh, year over year, but when you look at it on the national data side, we're at 1.26 million today. Um, And we're not back to the 2019 levels. I always always talk about the 2019 levels. I write about it a lot. Until we get back inventory to 1.52 to 1.93, we got to touch that 1.93, and we get four months of supply, it's still a savagely unhealthy housing market. And it explains... Uh, The pricing uh, issues, why pricing is still firm. Um, uh, You know, I I just looked at Realtor.com's weekly data today. Their medium list pricing is 16% year over year still. Uh, And we are almost in August. And we just went through a massive, massive rate increase. And sales have gone from six and a half million to about 5.1 million. They're still heading lower. And that's the functional problem with the supply issue is that, You can get certain investors that will sell the product because they have no shelter tied to them, but a homeowner has to acquire another form of shelter after. And because of that premise, people don't sell to be homeless or sell to rent at a higher cost. They also need a reason to sell. You don't just take your family and go, hey, by the way, somebody on Facebook told me home prices are going to crash 40%. I got to sell Okay. Your wife's not going to like you. Your kids (laughs) are going to hate you, right? You're, you're, you're upending your life when you're, all it is, is a fixed payment. Shelter cost. Housing is a cost of shelter to your own capacity to own debt. So it, it, it explains that why inventory even now today is still at below 2019 level. So until we get back to 2019, which is the four decade low, by the way, that was the four decade low in inventory. Um, I consider this still a savagely unhealthy housing market. And the evidence I have is look at pricing. Case-Shiller data lags, but it's still up 20% year over year. The, media, the NAR data just came out in the last report. Sales are down uh, big, but home prices are up 13%. And that is the functional inventory channel that if you follow it, you know, going back to 1982, you could see what the problem has been. Inventory really only increases in scale when you have kind of years of weakness in demand or forced credit selling. We don't have forced credit selling. Uh, so we're in kind of year one. Uh, so we just have to work our inventory channels back to normal. And then let's have that conversation then. But it, that, that's just not happening this year. It's going to take more time. And I think that's the best way for me to explain it. Because uh, if, you, if, you, if you read everything, it looks like home prices are down 20 30%. They're not. Uh, the year-over-year data is still positive. That's the unhealthy aspect because even with the weakness in demand, we're seeing we're seeing inventory increasing, but we're still working from the all-time lows that were in January uh, and, and February of this year.
1: So I think we both um, agree that that. Uh, interest rates from a mortgage standpoint have likely peaked out in that, you know, low six range. And we've seen them pull back substantially. I know this morning they were at about five and a quarter, 5.35, something in that range. Do you think the Fed is backed into a corner from an interest rate standpoint? Um, and when we look at the the GDP and the the health of the um, global economy, that, that really from an interest rate standpoint for mortgages, that that it's really at the threshold of what the market can take this year?
0: You know, uh, when when the Federal Reserve, when Chairman Powell said housing needs a reset, um, they basically, you know, said, hey, listen, we're, we're going to let go of the housing market. That's kind of like, we're not going to come and assist. Uh, I have a six recession red flag model. It's something that I uh, write about constantly. In, in essence, all my six recession red flags are up. So what traditionally happens when that occurs after 1982, uh, it was a little bit different uh, before that period, is that bond yields and mortgage rates fall going into a recession and a recession. So the Federal Reserve, I mean, the, 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 the unique part of 2022 has been that mortgage rates and, and bond markets started to rise after the Russian invasion. It started to rise very aggressively. And then the Fed kind of said, we really need to tackle inflation. So mortgage rates in the bond market got well ahead of where the Federal Reserve was going to uh, hike rates. Now they're saying the Fed can't really get to that point uh, because the economic data is slowing down. Um, So I'm pretty sure the Chairman Powell did not want mortgage rates to fall or the stock market to go up today. But they're kind of like, the, the bond market is like, yeah, the ten-year yield has fallen, you know, eighty basis points, you know, from the recent highs. It never really broke out of kind of the channel that we've had from two two thousand ten to two thousand twenty two. So I think it's it's difficult for what the Fed was going to do when I when I listened to Chairman Powell. I, I even wrote about this in Housing Wire and did a podcast for this. He kind of hinted that the future rate hikes or how aggressive they're going to be, is going to be data dependent. Well, welcome to the party, pal. You know, every data miner out there knows, uh, that tracks data can see what's happening. So the economic data is getting weaker. So they're relying 100% on the labor market because their dual mandate is to stabilize prices and, and to make the labor market. So the labor market, you know, jobs are still being created. That's tr- traditionally the last thing to fall. So, the bond market, in a sense, is calling their bluff. Uh, and, that, and that's kind of one of the, you know, when, I, when I've talked about this in recent interviews throughout the year, I said, hey, listen, I, mor- mortgage rates look like to me they have peaked. They are aggressively priced much higher than they normally would have been. I mean, normally right now today where the 10-year yield is, mortgage rates are 4.5% easily. If this was 2018 pricing, this is 4.5% today. So, the bond market is starting to retreat itself because it doesn't believe that uh, the US is this really massive growth economy and it can create all this inflation and consumption and wages as supply is getting better on the supply chain side and then the demand's getting weaker. So, that allows supply to increase and the growth rate of pricing we see this, it was actually my fourth recession red flag. I have what I call the sixth recession red flag. And I said, oh my God, the retail spending, the durable goods spending, all that, that was booming during COVID, that can't be sustained. So you see the Amazons, the Walmarts, the Targets, everyone says, we ordered too much stuff. We gotta start cutting prices to let go of inventory. Some of these things are gonna seep down into the inflation data. Uh, And really, if there was no concern about oil supply, uh oil prices themselves would probably be much lower. wheat prices took off on the russian invasion they've given that all back and now copper prices have fallen uh, uh, aggressively which usually means that's not a good thing for housing for me housing was i raised the fifth recession red flag in june for housing and that's mostly just housing starts uh the builders new home sales typically they fall going into a recession when mortgage rates got above uh, of 4%, the business model was at risk for them. And now the builder's confidence has collapsed and they're just gonna take their time because you know, out of their nine, 9.3 months of supply they have, um, literally less than one month is finished product. Uh, six months of that is homes under construction, like 2.2 months or not even started yet. So they're just gonna slowly wind down production, which means we're not gonna be building any more new homes. Uh, The expansion is over in that sense, which means down the line, that supply is going to be uh, not there. So they're going to take their time getting rid of that product uh, uh, slowly. So in that sense, that's common with recessionary data. Usually that typically is the case. So uh, the, the Fed is the Fed is the Fed is stuck in a position in the sense that if they keep on hiking rates faster or at the same speed, the bond market is saying you're putting us into a recession. And that's kind of been the baseline uh, premise that I've had you know, in the last few months that you can't be a 7 to 10% mortgage rate person and be a recession person at the same time. If you are a higher mortgage rate, you have to really believe the US economy is going to grow fast and the world economies are going to grow fast. China's in a recession. Europe's in a recession. Japan has already slowed down. The US is the last man standing. The data lines are getting weaker here. So there's only so much... Uh, uh That the bond market is allowing them to get away with, and they kind of hinted on that yesterday. That you know we're going to be a little bit data dependent, but again, their mandate is price stability, right? So inflation being you know a nine eight percent is is too much for them. They need to see it down. If the growth rate inflation comes down, since some of the commodity prices are coming down, then they might be a little bit uh, you know instead of from seventy five to maybe fifty or twenty five. But people are already pricing in rate cuts in twenty twenty three. So this is what the marketplace is and that's you know uh, the federal reserve versus the bond market and everyone else and you get these uh, conflicting views but uh, the 10-year yield of the bond market they're doing exactly what i th- believe they would do in if you believe in the post 1982 bond market trend where things rates start to go down and bond yields go down into a recession
1: so if i'm going to if i'm going to think about this from the lens of being a real estate agent or someone who's thinking about, um, purchasing a home. Um, am I accurate in thinking that, uh, home prices continue to go up based on the data that we have now supply continues to be constrained if housing starts, um, and builder confidence are low and therefore as a result now is still a good time to buy a house,
0: especially if rates are forecasted to decline. Here's, here's, here's the thing with, with that question, I've I've literally had the same answer to this question for the last like 10 years. Yeah. Housing is the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own a debt. Millions and millions of people buy homes every year. They bought homes in 2008, they bought homes during a pandemic. If you look at the data, the trend sales basically show that when people are ready to buy, they buy. Uh, uh, especially as rates go lower, they they, more people tend to buy because they're buying a shelter cost. So regardless of what anyone believes, what you should or should not do, it doesn't really matter because people buy millions of homes every year. And even in the worst conditions that we've had in 2008 or in 2020, I mean, 2020, there was a global pandemic. You know, if there was ever a time and period that people go, you should never buy a house, You know, in 2020, guess what? Within, uh, we had a six week pause in activity because everybody was scared of COVID. And that was it. Literally, we just got back to trend uh, four weeks after that. Uh, So millions and millions of people buy homes every day. To my, my, my take is that if somebody asks me if they should buy a home, I always say, you're not ready. If you have to ask another adult permission to buy a house that is not your family member, you're not ready at all. Millions of people buy homes, they're ready. I've never had somebody say, should I buy a house? And I tell them, you're not ready. I, and you look at their financials, you're not ready, right? But everyone else that buys a home, they're, they're good to go. When rates go up, affordability goes down, right? So some people can't buy. Uh, uh, but even, even this year, even w- when we take this m- major majority hit uh, on affordability, we're still looking at new and existing home sales, roughly, let's just say 5.7 million, right? The people are, that, that is a that is a healthy amount of number of home sales if you compare it back to the previous expansion. So every year, people buy homes. My Just my interpretation is that when you make enough money, you're looking at a payment, whether rates are at six, five, four, three, in fact... One of the big talking points I've had, if you actually look at housing data post 1996, it is extremely rare to have uh, existing home sales under 4 million, uh, even when mortgage rates were at 9, 8, 7, 6, 5%. Uh, the only time authentically it happened was toward the end of the 2008 uh, uh, crisis, uh, uh, where credit was very tight. We got below 4 million for just a few months. There was the home buyer tax credit that, in you know, uh, made made home sale data look crazy. And then one month of COVID, right? When nobody bought homes just because of that. So millions of people are buying. So I always tell people, if you're asking me, you're not ready, right? Yeah. You, you, there's a lot of things you do as an adult that you don't ask strangers and <laughs> buying a house is your financial thing. You should know that better than anybody, better than a bank, better than the economist yeah. or better than anyone else, right? Well, it's interesting it's all- though,
1: because it's two, it really is two different things, right? It's, It's not exclusively an asset, and it's certainly, for the most part, not a short-term hold. You know, it is an asset in one capacity, but it's also a basic human need. And it's one, in your case, you've had for 18 years. So um, without that long-term horizon or without uh, somebody else having perspective on how long you plan to own it, why ask? Yeah, so, why? I, ask I mean, I,
0: I get like sometimes I get really brutal about when people ask me <laughs> the answers I give them. I was like, really? Are are you a kid? Are you living at home? Come on, <laughs> you know, you're an adult. You make that decision, you know. Um, so, uh, it explains why millions and millions of people buy homes. Because in, in in real terms, a lot of people forget this. It's not just the millennials buying homes. When you look at housing demand, you have to think of first time home buyers, move up buyers, move down buyers investors, cash buyers, what, whatever it is, there's a series of group of home buyers in there. Um, you know. So if somebody says, well, rates are 6.5%, who would buy? Well, somebody who just sold their house has a ton of equity, is moving across to another state, they got 80% down, does that rates really matter to them? So there's, there's a lot of, uh, uh, and, and people say, well, credit could get tight. One of the things is that credit got tight from 2005 to 2008 because those loans facilitated a lot of demand. If, if anybody looks at the credit uh, availability index, it has gone nowhere since 2008. It went a, a little bit lower in 2020, uh, but that data line collapsed from 2005 to 2008. You, really can't, you can't really tighten credit, you can't loosen credit too much because of the uh, qualified mortgage rules and everything. So lending standards are very liberal still, Uh, And they can't really get too loose or too tight. So that facilitates, uh, again, even this year, we're going to have over 5 million total home sales. So it's a cost of shelter. If you look at it in that, you can understand why even this year, millions of people are buying homes. The biggest housing demographic patch ever, ages 28 to 34. Uh, So naturally, demographics equal demand. Millennials have been the biggest home buyers for years. It's not Wall Street the whole wall street thing is funny to me because i've got the data i sit there i look at it i'm like oh my god we went from 0.4 percent to 2.5 percent of institutional buyers and people make it out to be like 70 percent you know and i was just like no primary resident home buyers yeah primary resident home buyers are it they're the mortgage buyers run the show when rates go up sales go down when rates go lower sales stabilize and and, and and a lot of cases do pick up Kind of don't make it complicated in that, you know, Uh, people need somewhere to live. And that's, that's the difference between housing that let's say a stock, the stock market's very fluid. Stocks go up and down. Margin debt goes up and down. You could sell a stock at a 30% loss or a 30% gain within eight seconds. Housing takes time, right? Uh, uh, It takes time for when rates get lower. It takes time for rates get higher to, to work itself out because the functional system is just, uh. It, the process is still, uh, takes days, not seconds.
1: So the, the, that's one of the things that the bubble boys like to talk about, right? Is that like this whole asset bubble is going to pop and collapse. And one of the genesis of that is going to be that institutions are just going to dump and liquidate all of their property, right? Um, and, and they, need, they need someone it.
0: to buy it. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, listen, the, the, the housing bubble boys 2.0, which is a, my favorite group, Um, they started in 2012 and from 2012 to 2019, they kept on saying housing was a bubble. They believe home prices have to go back down to 2012 levels, right? That's where all, all bubbles, you have to go back to where it starts. Then 2020 came and then they went all in, right? All in on COVID because they were wrong for so many years. Then 2021 came and forbearance, right? So, um, most of these people are what I call anti-central bank people. Um, they're just... They just hate the Federal Reserve, and they hate housing because people buy homes. And I I literally say this at at events too. People buy homes, they have sex, they have kids, they go to their their job, they live their lives. They have a fixed debt payment. So for many years, this group was saying, you're a stupid idiot for buying a house. Home prices are gonna crash. Where are these people gonna live? And then the other counter argument, well, it's investors. Investors are holding these properties. Rent inflation took off. So it's not like, you know, we're having rental deflation and home prices are excelling both. And people need somewhere to live. We just didn't have enough product for both. And that's why this is a historical housing inflation event. Uh, um, so that, that's the problem is that a, a, a willing seller has to have a buyer, right? So there has to be demand for these people So when rates go up demand tends to slow down uh historically days on markets grow so the process of buying and selling takes time it's not like 2006 7 8 where you had forced selling right people were forced to sell their homes right because there were short sale bankruptcies foreclosures right that's that that's a different product if we had bankruptcies foreclosures rising like we did uh in 2005 to 2008 and then the job loss that's a whole different subject we have none of that, right? So it's a it's a traditional buy and sell shelter cost. A seller traditionally is a buyer, so they need to obtain a property. If an investor comes in, investor has no tie, right? So they still have to find a buyer for that house. So if they have to cut prices, that's that's absolutely functionally normal, but it takes time, right? Uh, uh, and we see it this year. This year, we're still below 2019 inventory levels there are parts of the U.S. Boise, Austin, uh, uh, Phoenix that have gotten to 2019 levels but if you look at their year-over-year pricing they're up double digits still right so it's just the housing market takes a little bit more time to work itself out Uh, uh, and now what's happened is mortgage rates have fallen um, in some cases uh, uh, over even one percent now and for somebody like me that's looking for balance, like that's my thing. I need housing to get back to 2019 now because this home price growth ruined my model, right? So that's why I'm like savagely unhealthy. Hello, we just need inventory to get back up. I need higher rates to get back the inventory levels. But it wasn't the notion that Americans, and, and, and if, if you really wanted to ask someone this question, what does supply mean to you when people rush to sell? Like there's 142 million housing units So the panic selling premise has to be at least 19 to 22 million, right? We're at 1.26 million total inventory today. Where's the panic selling, right? Where's all this inventory? Purchase application data today is below 2008 levels. Like people ask me, where's purchase application data compared to 2008? We're already below 2008 levels because we never had a credit boom like we saw in 2002 to 2005. We never had a sales boom. like new home sales is a good example I just did. The peak of new home sales in 2005 was 1.4 million. New home sales just missed recently. It's 590,000. So if it goes down, you know, 50% from here, it's not that far off from where we were just, you know, at, at, at the worst levels of the great financial. So there's not this, ample need of people selling to be homeless or renting at a higher cost. And that explains the inventory channels going back to 1982.
1: And builders have too much data to be willing to build houses and donate them or lose money Yeah, the, builder,
0: them, right? the builders are done. The builders, you know, how, how I treated the housing market in 2020 to 2024, I said, once the 10-year yield breaks above 1.94%, 4%, 4% plus mortgage rates, the housing market should change. But when that happened in March, what I wrote for HousingWire is that the new home sales sector is at risk. They, you know, it, it, the data, the data won't look bad right now, but this is lagging. It's at risk. June housing construction is done. Red, recession red flag. The next month, builders' confidence will fall down. Because why? They're here just to make money. They are not here to fix the existing home sales market. That's their enemy. That's their main competition, right? So they're not going to put their heads down and just build to lose money. So they are gonna slow the process down. uh, And most of their supply and inventory is either under construction or not even started. They are not gonna bring a shovel to the dirt on those homes that haven't even started yet. So they're gonna wait to see what they can unload. And then that single family home, uh, in a sense, gets taken off within three months after, you know, the kind of the uh, contract is up or when they're about to move in. So that's one of the reasons why you haven't seen a massive amount of single-family homes come to the market. Only 0.89 months or so, below one month of supply is actually finished product. So they're, they're going to take their times. And that's unfortunate in a sense that that means you know housing construction is completely slowed down until rates fall. And if rates don't fall, then they're not building. And we see that in the negative GDP data that they were already pulling back in the second quarter. And now the data has even got worse. They're going to pull back even more
1: which means we just perpetuate this cycle of a shortage of supply, right? We have, we yeah, have rising I mean, demographic shortage, yeah. homeowners. I
0: mean, I mean it's, it's, I, this is why I always show the active listing data back to 1982. If anybody visually could see, you're like, whoa, we really did get to the all-time lows. And I said, yeah, we did, but we got, we got to all-time lows at a, at a really bad time. And a perfect example is because the people that I deal with, they always say there's no inventory shortage. It's fake news. So it's the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve created this bubble by demand. So I go, okay, what was 2020 home sales, existing home sales? Of course, they don't know. If I told you existing home sales were only 130,000 more than 2017 levels, do you believe me? They go, no, that's the truth, right? So this isn't like a booming demand credit cycle. It's just inventory kept on falling. And in 2020, they got to all-time lows. And we just have too many people chasing too few goods and they're forced to bid on this. That's the savagely unhealthy part. And here, even with sales falling, the pricing is still staying firm because, again, the days on market, the NAR came with their last report, it's 14 days on market. You know, I mean, usually the traditional market is like 30 to 60 days. We're at a teenager. There is nothing good happens in housing when you're at a teenager level of days on market. Why? Because there's not enough product. It's all there for people to read, but the housing crash people, it, it most of it's a marketing gimmick by them. Um, but it's just, it's, they're not actual data miners or ideological people. So it, it, it kind of explains what's going on in 2022. Cause even my wall street friends, like everything is crashed, but housing, why aren't home prices down 20 to 30%? Where are the sellers going to go? Yeah. You know? Yeah and and
1: am i correct in thinking that there really isn't anything structurally that changes this or fixes this until because it's a demographic and a and a construction problem and the demographics don't let up until something happens from a boomer
0: standpoint right um the boomers will die and starting 2030 and on um that's that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Uh, There was a thing called the silver tsunami, very clever marketing gimmick. Uh, And starting in 2015, all the baby boomers were going to sell their homes and sell it at a 70% discount because none of the millennials could buy. That was a 2015 to 2025 premise because the first baby boomer hit 62 in 2008. So they were all going to downsize. That was a terrible forecast, by the way. Uh, None of that has happened. But over time, um, toward the end of this decade, there's going to be a lot of baby boomers who have homes they're gonna pass off and they're gonna give that house to their uh, children and what their children does with that, we'll wait and see. Um, But the, traditionally what happens, how does inventory increase? It increases on weakness of demand or forced selling. So forced selling needs a job loss recession. Uh, So I always say that to everyone, let's just wait to get to 2019 levels in inventory, which is between 1.52 million and 1.93 million. And let's get four months supply. That's a normal traditional market. And then let's see where mortgage rates are. Let's see how the housing demand looks then. Uh, let's see if we're if we're in a job loss recession. Let's take it there. But here, you know, it's just it's just not the case, right? There are parts of the U.S. that are already at 2019. I, I consider those the healthy markets actually. I consider Boise healthy in the sense that it's gotten inventories. What happened in 2020 and 2021 and the early part of 2022. Wasn't healthy, forced bidding, escalation pricing. None of that is good, right? It's great for home sellers. Uh, And kind of my thing is, you know, the quote I give to the media is that, we needed higher rates because we needed to put home sellers, home builders on their ass because they have too much pricing power. And when they have too much pricing power, they are simply doing what every human being does. They're doing what's best in their own interest, right? So when inventory got to such a low level, uh, they can do whatever they want now that rates have gone up, things have changed, the market is starting to get back to what we considered a normal marketplace we 're not there yet, but we're working our way. So take that context of data of where we are on a historical basis, and then again if if we go in a recession, if rates inflation falls, mortgage rates go back down historically speaking, that stabilizes demand. If you're like me, you know that wants higher inventory, you're like, oh. Like the biggest thing I'm worried about is oh here all my recession flags are up rates are going to go down and that might stall out the process and this is why I'm keeping an eye on new listing data. It's been negative now three weeks in a row. Uh, typically, what happens toward the end of July is that the growth rate of supply tends to slow down. Summer's over with the families don't move, uh, and then that moves all the way to October. October is when people uh, start to take their listings off. So. For someone like myself that sees new listings fall, you're like, oh, out of all the times we need some inventory growth, you know, we, we don't need this to happen. But it's just traditional housing inventory channels. This is kind of how it's worked because a traditional seller is a buyer of a home.
1: As we wrap up, I think it's interesting that we're that you're you're targeting 2019, which is what's a four decade low, right? Yeah. So we're trying to get to a historical low level of inventory just to get you, yeah.
0: Usually, yeah. Usually, inventory historically is between two to two and a half million. That's like the 2014 levels. I'm not even asking for that. I just want to get back to the four decade low before 2020. That was a functioning marketplace. There was enough inventory there where prices weren't really escalating. Days on market were above 30 days. That was a great housing market. In fact, I remember the economics conference I was speaking in in 2019. I showed a chart. Real home prices went briefly negative days on market. I was like, this is great, guys. This is an awesome. This is awesome news. Everyone has choices and everything. You know, you've got to be careful. You don't want a housing market that inventory collapses. Nobody liked it, of course, because everybody wants to sell their homes fast. But um, yeah, let's just get back to 2019 levels and let's just take it from there. Uh, we're, we're not there. Obviously, we're not We're not going to touch the high levels of 2019. There's parts of the U.S. that are, are cracking into there. And then let's have a conversation after that fact and see where the economy is and where rates are at.
1: At the national level, what causes home prices to actually fall by some sort of high double-digit or 20 percent range? What would happen? Usually, to
0: histor- historically speaking, you would need monthly supply to be above six months. Um, um, you can have inventory levels actually between 1.52 million to 1.93 million, but if monthly supply goes above six months, that's where the pricing changes uh, negative. Uh, we saw that actually in, in the in the 1990s total inventory wasn't that high, but the monthly supply got up to like nine months. So you want to keep an eye on monthly supply data. Uh, um, my thing is that let's you know let's just get back to four months and get back to 2019 total inventory, and then we'll take it from there. But historically speaking, that's that's been the case after 1996, and from what happened from 2006 to 2011, a lot of forced credit selling, which facilitated. Uh, a, a lot of um, uh, 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 of excess inventory and demand fell because we we're working from a very elevated level. Much more different dynamics now on the demand side. And again, the total inventory data is still below 2019 levels.
1: Logan, I appreciate all your time. It's been uh, incredibly insightful. I know our agents will benefit a ton from it. So uh, thanks for taking time out of, out of your busy schedule. I know you said this is interview number four. Fifty-eight, I think, this, this week. 58.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. So I got a, <laughs> so. got a few more left today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it.